Our scripture lesson today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Jesus is speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God, and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Early in my high school years, my church got a new youth pastor. Like many Methodists, he was a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, right next door to Asbury College, now Asbury University. Both the university and the seminary come out of the Wesleyan tradition, which feeds the Methodist Church, but isn't officially a part of it. Gill loved his seminary, and one of his first trips that he arranged for our youth group was to the annual Christian Rock Festival held in Wilmore. We piled into vans and we headed down to Igthus 75, or 76, I don't remember what year. It was fun, and it was muddy. Maybe that's what made it fun. We also saw some of the sights while we were there, including the highest railroad bridge in the country, right nearby. We learned that Asbury College was named for Francis Asbury, the early Methodist bishop and revival preacher who moved thousands. We learned of famous revivals at the college in the tradition of its namesake, starting in 1905 and as recently as 1970, when spontaneous worship broke out for continuous days, even weeks. According to the college website, similar outbreaks happened in 1908, 1921, 1950, 
1958. I remember when I was a college chaplain in 1982 when it happened again at Asbury College and spread to several other colleges and universities around the country. And then again in 2006. Asbury is no stranger to these things called revivals which are central to much of the American Protestant experience. So I was intrigued when one of you sent me a note a few days ago with a link to an article about another revival going on at Asbury. I hadn't heard about it. I guess I was distracted by other things. But knowing this history, I took it all in stride and thought, okay, on schedule for Asbury. But then I started reading a little bit more about it. And this is what I learned. It seems that on February 8th, after a normal Wednesday chapel service, uh, this one where the assistant soccer coach had preached, the service ended as usual and most of the kids went off to class. But for reasons not clear, several students stayed behind in clusters here and there around that hundred-year-old building, some just talking, others still singing from the service, others deciding to pray together. And then the singing spread, and then the praying spread, and the kids hung around. And as afternoon wore on, word spread that others were coming into the chapel to join in, all student-led. Students began taking the microphone and talking about their lives and their hurts and their needs. Student-led worship bands began playing and everyone sang. The chapel got fuller and fuller in brief, over the next two weeks, worship and prayer continued almost nonstop, except for a couple of hours in the wee hours of the morning to clear the chapel and so people can get some sleep. And somewhere over 50,000 people came and went from that little town of 6,000. News spread on social media, and folks drove in from all over the country, not just students, but folks of all ages and even families with children. That chapel that seats only a thousand had as many as 7,000 people, both inside and outside, at high points. According to the New York Times, at one point, the line waiting to enter the chapel stretched for a half a mile. An ad hoc group of administrators and students met in a small room off the chapel to set some terms for how to manage what was happening with surprising agreement. Folks in town began housing the pilgrims who came, cooking casseroles and laying out tables of protein bars and water bottles. The Salvation Army showed up with food. Toilets and heaters were set out for the winter chill. And it all spread, and by some accounts it is still spreading to other schools around the country. Reports are that at this overwhelmingly white Southern college, the crowd participating has been surprisingly diverse. I read of someone seeing a group of students together praying with each one speaking a different language. 
all this every day for over two weeks. Okay, interesting enough, but let me tell you what catches my attention from what I read about this event. One thing is the way that it unfolded during our time when, as you know, a well-tuned industry of branding and monetizing can take over events on a dime, amplifying and falsifying and distorting. Nothing is perfect, of course, but from all that I have read, there has been remarkable consensus among folks guiding this event to reject all of that. A decision was immediately taken to keep students central. And so students were given pride of place in leadership of worship and prayer. When the lines to enter the chapel became as long as I described, a separate entrance was set up for anyone under 25 to enter so they could get in first. This was not to be taken over by the adults. Media was downplayed to reduce any sense of show. Live streaming was not allowed and people were asked to take only brief videos. Other outlets were kept at bay. As groups tried to take advantage of the moment for their own purposes, with commentators claiming that it all supported their point of view, you may have seen that on TV, or celebrities flying in to steal attention, and folks arriving with signs and bullhorns to hawk their politics, and even one national figure implying on the air that this all might have been summoned up by a recent president. Local leadership resisted all of that. There are no zealots here, one professor insisted. There are no Christian nationalists. There is no aggression. There is no grandstanding. There are people of different perspectives and positions here together. Anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-government activists, activists of other kinds were all asked to leave. A decision was cleverly made at some point that someone would physically hold the microphone from which people spoke so that no one could take the microphone over and so everyone would know that it was not theirs. From the stage there was talk of compassion and love and work for the poor and social justice. All of that combined with talk of confession and reconciliation and holiness. Words like gentle, joyful, sweet, and humbling fill all the descriptions. Ruth Graham of the New York Times reported about person after person who told her of bursting into tears when they entered the chapel from an overwhelming sense of peace in the building. A young mother who brought her family from miles away spoke of a sense of healing from these last years of trauma. A student from the seminary who is gay told of encountering another student whose condemnation of his sexuality had hurt him deeply. And he spoke 
of them finding each other and praying together and a heart level opening to each other and of reconciliation. Another sign of this stunning discipline is the decision that was taken this past week that even while people were still coming, it was time to end it and to let expressions grow elsewhere and to let the educational of the work of the college to continue. And so the continuous gathering in the chapel was concluded just this last Friday, even when it could have continued. Interesting, don't you think? But I want to talk even a little more about the message of what happened there and what it tells us about 2023. For Ruth Graham of the Times wrote something telling that if 20th century revivals focused on healing physical pains and disabilities, accounts of healing at Asbury are overwhelmingly about mental health, trauma, and disillusionment. Asbury's president, Kevin Brown, said, never could I have imagined what we are experiencing now. There is a deep hunger born of this trenchant dissatisfaction and delusion, disillusionment with what has been handed to the younger generation. And I think they're just raising their gaze to higher things. Apparently, many of the young people talked of those very things when they spoke during these last two weeks. They spoke of anxiety, of disappointment with authorities that have betrayed and abused and left them in a confusing and unwelcoming world. They spoke of feeling isolated, of falsehoods parading as truth, of divisions that they did not make and that they reject, of feeling caught in behaviors that they know are hurting them, and of fear for the future. And they found the beginning of healing in being together in prayer and song, in openness and honesty, and in the gentle spirit of Christ hovering over and through it all. A seminary student, Madison Pierce, said that the outpouring was marked by overwhelming peace for a generation marked by anxiety, joy for a generation marked by despair, humility for a generation traumatized by the abuse of religious power. The student body president, Allison Perfeter, talked of the effect of the political unrest of 2020 and the pandemic. We were due for a breaking point, she said, but instead of being a horrible breaking point, it was peaceful and sweet. What was happening, a theologian at the seminary, Timothy McCall, wrote, was inexpressibly deep with a sense of peace and wholeness and holiness and belonging and love in a way that is the smallest of windows to the life for which we are all made. So why am I telling you about this? And why have I kept that scripture from Matthew 6 
that was selected long before any of this hit the news? And why am I talking to you about all of this today? Thanks for asking those questions. Let me try to answer. Why this in a sermon called Perfect Churching? Because I want you to hear the story. And because I want you to ponder it a little bit. Are you skeptical about it or even a little cynical? Are you not particularly interested because it doesn't touch your own life? Are you excited about it and a little jealous? Are you curious about it and what it might all mean for us? And I want you to wonder, if we were Pinnacle Presbyterian Church of Wilmore, Kentucky, how would we have responded these past two weeks? Would we have watched with amusement? Would we have written it off as naive or decided it was just another rally? Would we have bought food and fed the pilgrims? Would we have been open to the peace that folks felt or the emotions that they were releasing? Would we have found in ourselves a way to be more gentle, joyful, and loving? Our tradition has always said that the church walks a watershed between order and ardor, between reason and feeling, between organizing our work and our mission so it is predictable, and staying open to the surprises of God's spirit that can change everything suddenly. We said both are needed, discipline and passion careful thinking and radical openness, protecting the church and wildly wasting the church for God. When Presbyterians fall off that watershed, I, I think we most often fall off to the side of order. <laughs> we can be a bit respectable, you see. We can worry a bit too much sometimes about keeping what we have and so take too few chances or go on too few adventures or have too few moments of simple wonder at what God can do. But God still moves and the Spirit still works and ardor can still move within us and we can still walk that watershed by God's good grace. So maybe it's time for us to tilt a little bit more toward ardor. Which leads me to that second question. Why that passage from Matthew 6? Well, because not worrying so much seems to be both what we need in order to catch the Spirit and also what we get from the Spirit when we catch her. Both. Each one of us and the church too. Seek God first. Not by sacrificing your mind or losing the point. Not by allowing the wrong forces to take the lead. But by allowing the spirit to move no matter where she leads. And as Jesus promises, all the things we need will be given to us.
order will appear, resources will come, leadership will arise, wisdom will guide. Which leads me to the third question. Why this message today? In my cover letter for the annual report to the congregation, a copy of which you will receive in a few minutes, and which is also available online, I quote a sermon that I preached from this pulpit a year ago next week. In that sermon, I talked about the second anniversary of when we had to suddenly go online because of COVID. I spoke of all that we went through and of hard work and prayer, of outpourings of support, even during times of controversy and anxiety. And I said this, I am bullish on Pinnacle because the Spirit has us. I am inspired by where we are going because the Spirit can show us. I'm realistic about the challenges, but grateful for you, for leadership, for resources, for faith, for God's Spirit among us, despite us, for us, and with us for others. I said that a year ago and I could say it today. I believe that the kind of ministry we aspire to here in this congregation and are trying to build for God's sake and despite ourselves is the kind of ministry that can walk that watershed and be a small step on the way forward. The realities of this moment in America are leaving too many of us conflicted, cold, and feeling confused. Thank God. Thank God that some of our youth, some of our young people, are courageous enough to call that out, to name the pain, and to remind us that we need healing. They did it in Wilmore, Kentucky these past two weeks, as imperfect as they were. And we can join too in our own way to become the kind of people and the kind of church that God calls us to be. We should never forget that we know truth that can make sense in the chaos. And we know a spirit who can guide us in the way of fearless love. The Spirit is here, poured out for our sake. Just look and see. Amen.